Hello, welcome to Coffee is for Closers. Everyone, I have kind of a celebrity in the building today. Somebody who's been in the news, who has been all over not only Chicago land, regular news, but also real estate, many accolades. I have with me today, Tony Matar. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're being way too kind calling me a celebrity, although from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> well, listen, you know, not many people can go on CBS and, and, and ABC and, all, and WGN and all of these things. We love to have, you know, attention, but you've actually made a difference in the community, right? And you've gotten a lot of attention from it. So... Yeah. I, thank you for what you do. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's really fun to be able to go and share with people and kind of break through the noise of the chatter on the news and, you know, the sort of bombastic angles that they take and their articles and coverage of real estate and the economy yeah. and everything. And I feel like there's a lot of scare tactic going on within the news and the media. And it's helpful, I think, for consumers to hear from someone who's actually in it, right. who's able to sort of dispel some of those stories and communicate how the process is still easily navigatable for buyers and sellers, you know, regardless of market conditions. So those who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself to the audience. Right? Yeah. So I'm Tony Matar. I'm the founder of the Chicago crib team at Compass. I've been in the business for about 10 years, which seems crazy because I still think of myself as fairly young. Um, although I've got a few gray hairs to, to prove that I've been weathered by the industry a little bit, but yeah, we are a full service real estate team at Compass. We help buyers, sellers, investors, renters even. Um, and I've kind of been in, a myriad of different positions throughout the industry, working on people's teams as I was coming up, you know, being an individual agent, co-owning my own independent brokerage, and then now where I'm at, you know, just leading a sales team. Love it. So let's unpack a little bit of that. So, that, you know, you've been around the block, you've, you've done quite a few really cool things, um, but you've remained consistently a multi-million dollar producer, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're a top producer in your own right with your very specific niche. How did you get there and how did you start with uh, cutting your teeth? Yeah, so originally when I got into the industry, I went to go work for my then friend, Nick Liebert, who owns Exit Strategy Realty. And I started off managing his office and got my license at the exact same time. So I did the self-study course while I was helping him process earnest money checks and oh, wow. payments of his agents and kind of running the day-to-day -day operation of that office. Uh, learned a lot through osmosis, through just dealing with all of those back-end processes, systems, and you know intricacies. And then was also starting to help renters and buyers when I had the opportunity, but obviously I was a super young kid. So I was also working on his sales team as his co-lister. So through that experience, I really gleaned a lot of knowledge about how to do a real estate transaction uh, and started really to, you know, uh, get some more deals under my belt and start to sort of have some confidence, uh, nothing like I have today, but but start sure. to really kind of feel like, okay, I know what this industry is all about and this is something that's, that's interesting to me. So from there, I went and I uh, worked on a sales team of Joe Zimmerman at Keller Williams. And uh, again- Love Joe, Joe's great. Yeah, yeah, he's the best. And it was another great learning opportunity for me in terms of, you know, understanding how to treat my real estate business a little bit more like a business. And obviously Keller Williams had a ton of excellent coaching and, and trainings and things like that. So it was kind of the next evolution in my career at, that led me to eventually being an individual agent there at that office. At which point in time, I opened my own independent brokerage with a business partner. And that was a completely different ball game. So, I mean, it was 
It was so, a so, huge so change. Unpacking that, right? So you you joined the business 2014. How quickly did you go into the managing broker role? So I got my managing broker license in 2019, which oh, wow. is the same year. I mean, I got it and a month later we opened our office. Wow. So I was 29 years old and the managing broker of my own independent brokerage. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that, you know, coming off the few years that we had, we were some success, some newer yeah. people in the industry. Talk to them. What was your experience being young, opening a managing broker? Do you, do you regret doing it? Did you, do you like doing it? What, what was the thought there? I'm so glad that I did it. It was not without tremendous challenge as anyone who has opened their own shop is yeah. going to know and understand because outside of helping your clients buy and sell real estate, which you have to continue to do to pay the bills, unless you have some angel investor. Right there are a million and one different things that you have to do not only to open the office but to keep it running and a lot of those things are very you know administrative and paying people and then managing the compliance and things that can ultimately take away from selling which is not necessarily right or wrong the interesting thing is that I really felt like that kept me in a state of perpetual motion because I never felt done with work. I would decide at night, OK, I'm going to be done and go to bed. Right. Yeah. Never was I done with my list of to do's. Yeah. So keeping me in perpetual motion, I feel like helped me continue to grow my business, too. And from a sales perspective, because I never fell into a lull or the trap of, you know, sitting around twiddling my thumbs or not knowing what to do next, because even if I was working on something for the office, it just easily flowed into then doing something for my client or reaching out to somebody new or following up with a new lead, right? Or making cold calls or any of the different things that I was doing. So I'm glad that it sort of taught me how to stay busy. Um, but with that said, I got to a point where I kind of didn't necessarily feel the most fulfilled by the pieces that were involved in running the operation right. and being the managing broker. Well, and heavy is the crown. Yes, right? yes. Um, but but at the same time, it was an excellent stepping stone for me to get to where I am now. And I yeah. feel like without doing that, I would probably still be floundering at a lower production level and and not have the same acute awareness of what it takes to really be a success within this industry. I, I brought this up that way and I kind of set you up for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the, the, I see some people that, you know, I'm, I applaud everyone's success. I'm rooting for everyone. Yeah. Right. But some newer in the industry may in a five year span want to go be a managing broker like yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, you're speaking to me, right. As, as a loan originator, right. I did the same thing. I, I went out and went independent and I went after all these things that I thought I wanted. Yeah. And sometimes you have to be careful with that. Sometimes your path isn't what you think it is, but getting the lessons along the way of, okay, well, wait a minute, this is what I want to do. And this is what I don't want to do because what is the best use of your time? You know, being a managing broker is awesome. Yeah. But sometimes you go, well, wait a minute, but I have to do payroll and I got to do this, I got to do this and this. And so you're spending all your time doing that. Well, that's going to take away from what got you to where you are today. So if you're built out for that, great. But if you're not, you got to be careful. Like totally. Maybe, maybe that's not, you know, what needs to be done. Maybe you need to be focused on your business, get your foundation, right? I think we talked about this backstage, right? Having a team versus being a managing broker. You have a team, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you're exactly right on what you just said. I know several people within the industry who are the quintessential person who is the absolute best fit for being a managing broker. They Amen. love it. It fulfills them. And so there's nothing wrong or right or wrong with that path. Uh, for me, it just was 
okay, I did this. I learned about it. I, I cut my teeth in that regard. And yeah. now I want to go do what I feel like my interests most align with, which is helping clients and also mentoring and growing my team. Um, I'm sorry. What was the last question? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So last question was, um, just moving on to the, the, the best use of your time, right? Yeah. So focusing on whether having a team or being a managing broker and just, I don't think I've ever heard anybody kind of separate those two, right? They yeah. kind of, and yes, I'm sure it exists, but I think a lot of people look at the accolade of having that title or thinking that that's where they need to be to be the most successful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's actually pretty cool to have a team that you're proud of. And there's actually almost sometimes for some it's better, right? Yeah. Because if it's about money and it's about success, sometimes being that boutique, right, is better than being spread so thin. Because as a managing broker, you've got to be everything to everybody, mm -hmm. right? Versus as a team leader, this is our team. This is my family. This is what we do. Totally. Right? And, you know, when I think about my transition from being the managing broker to now just leading my sales team, mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I have the ability to tap into the economies of scale that exist within our brokerage at Compass yeah. to have all of the support that exists there from our sales manager, Andy Shaparsky, yeah. our associate sales manager, Kathleen Marshall, our agent experience manager, uh, you know, all of the marketing department, the, the regional and national leadership. Yeah recreating what exists there, not only from a technology standpoint, but from a human capital standpoint would be cost prohibitive to me as an independent broker owner. So, you know, I'm happy to leverage, you know, my piece that I give to my brokerage in order to tap into the wealth of opportunity that exists there. Yeah. But I think the thing that people need to realize is that you can only capture as much value from the technology, the human capital, the support staff as you go out and squeeze. Right. Right. So all of these things exist to agents, whether they're at Compass or another brokerage. But you have to actually be an engaged piece of the puzzle and tap into those resources and extract value. Right. The staff isn't going to seek you out and try to give you things, you know, if they do great. But but for the most part, they don't know what you need. Right. Or they don't know the type of support that you need or the types of conversations that you want to be having. The marketing department isn't going to know, you know, what's in your mind's eye about how you want your flyers to look or how you want your for sale signs to look. The brand right? standard. Right? So if you're an active and engaged piece of that puzzle at your brokerage and seek out the help that you want, yeah. it should be there for you. Yep. So you only get, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get is, is what Un I was Unpacking saying. that, right? So when we look at what you just said, it's that you need to know what your brand standard is. You need to know what your system looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me that um, I'll talk to some agents and I'm like, okay, so walk me through your system. Like, how does it work? And you get an answer, but you go, hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've asked this question of yourself, right? Like I can yeah. tell that you don't, everything should happen the same way every single time for every single client in the brand standard. You should be able to offer those, whether it works for them or not, right? You've, but this is how you conduct your business, mm -hmm. right? Tracking the thing, tracking your business, tracking where things come from, making sure you're following up with them, having a plan for everything before you start the team. Yeah. Because once you start the team, I think a lot of people will jump in and go, okay, well, I got a team now. So now we're going to go build all that. Right. And they're only going to do, like you said, they're only going to do what you asked them to do. So you'd have to have that, that created. So yeah. what do you think is unique about your team? What, what are you, what are you the most proud of? 
I'm most proud of how systematized we are in terms of the level of service that we provide. I mean, I think that my I think that my job is to be a problem solver for my clients. Yeah. It's not to be an a worker bee. Right. So I have people and systems in place that are the same for every single listing that are the same for every single buyer Mm -hmm. so that my energy can be spent strategizing on how to solve problems for my buyers or my sellers. Because every single transaction has a different problem that arises. Right. And whether or not you've experienced that before and can draw on your past experience to be able to help you solve it or think about it really critically, spend some really, you know, spend some time in your mind or reaching out to your colleagues or what I like to call the extension of my team. I mean, my team has a certain number of brokers on it. There's four of us right now. Mm -hmm. We're in growth mode, but also my team are the support staff at Compass. My team are my peer mentors at different offices and brokerages in the city. It's my vendors, my attorneys, my lenders. So my team is expansive and I rely on all of them to help me do better business. That's awesome. I also really am proud of our educational approach that we take with home buyers. So because of the fact that I got into the business when I was so young, 24 years old, most of the people that I knew were not buying home or didn't own homes. And if they were buying and they weren't a renter at that point in time, they were a first time buyer. Right. So I really got good at educating people and putting water in the well and making sure that people met with me sometimes 12, 18, 24 months before they were ready to buy so that I could start to educate them on the process, my value add and set expectations with them so that I was in control of the process, not in a way that was going to result in me being bossy or making them do something they didn't want to do, but so that they actually had someone leading them and guiding them through the process versus thinking that they knew best and leading themselves down the wrong path. What do you mean? We don't learn this in school. They don't teach us how to buy a house. They don't tell us how to, how to do finances. Right. You know, it's, it's amazing once we get out in the real world that they need somebody like you. And look, I'm gonna tell you something. We just got a report from David Stevens, right? The average age of the first time home buyer blew my mind. Blew my mind. You may know this, but I didn't know it was 34 because mm-hmm. I grew up young and and in the 20s and early 30s. I was like, you know, people were buying houses, right? Yeah, it's not true. Mm-hmm. So if you're waiting till 34, what you just said is pretty cool because you started at a much younger age and you were already coaching these people to get an advance on life. And I think a lot of people miss this, right? They're like, oh, you know, a realtor goes into a house and just shows you something and goes, here, do you want to buy this? No, it's education. Like you're actually changing somebody's life because this is the start of generational wealth. Right. Right. You start there. And if you can do it in your 20s, man, you're 10 years ahead of your friends. Mm-hmm. Right. That 10 years, I'm here to tell you, there's a big difference. There's yeah. a big difference between what happens with, you know, that ability. So applaud you for for finding success at such a young age. That's really cool. Thank Seriously. you. I was going to say, um, you know, I think. I think at the end of the day, like I said before, of being a problem solver, part of my job is to meet with a buyer initially mm-hmm. and talk about what are their goals, wants, motivations, right? Dive deep into what they want and then help them help themselves. Right. Because people don't know who are not in the industry how to best achieve the goal that they want, right? And sometimes they actually think that doing a certain thing or acting in a certain way is going to help them achieve and it's the exact opposite. Right. And it's going to actually hinder them from getting what they've told me that they want. So being able to call back to that and set those expectations up front allows for everything to go that much smoother and for people to get what they tell me they want. Sometimes you go through this exercise. I mean, stop me if, 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 if I'm wrong, but I, I find that when I'm on the phone with somebody, because my, my business is typically all phone, mm-hmm. um, 
I I will, for lack of a better term, trick them into telling me what they want. Yeah. And sometimes it's the first time they've said it out loud. And the exercise is that I already know what they want, but what I'm getting them to do is have them say it to me like they're the ones that figured it out after the information I've relayed to them. Yeah. So that way they can come to a decision and go, you know what? This is the right way to go. Right. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually the right way to do it. It's respectful. Cause then they go, okay, you gave me all the information. You know what? This is what I want to do. Right. And I think that there's nothing cooler than educating people and getting them to where they understand what we all know as an industry. Right. We, yeah. we get them into something and say, look, you can do this. Here's how you do it. Right. Totally. I it, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the things that I tell people in my initial meeting with them, if they're a buyer, is I explain to them the average number of showings that someone goes on before they buy a home nationwide. I ask them if they what think is it? it 12. 12? Okay. At least it was a few years ago. Maybe it's changed slightly. But <laughs> okay, fair enough. But you know, you're either you're in the same ballpark there. So you tell them it's 12, right? And then I ask them, do they think that that's a lot of showings or not that many? And most people don't know. So they say, well, that sounds about right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally I'll get, oh, that seems like a lot or, you know. And then I explain that our team's average uh, number of showings over the last 12 months was eight. So mm. less than the industry average. And then I tell them that between a quarter and a third of the buyers that we work with buy something that they saw the first time that we take them out, whether wow. that's to see one or four and one fell swoop. The key there is that then I say, I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to insinuate that we won't show you as many homes as possible. The reason I'm telling you that is so that if we go out in two weeks or two months and we see three places and you love one, I want to make sure that you're the, that you don't think you're the first person that's ever happened to. And then the most powerful thing is I go deal. And they say, deal. So then when that happens, like that. exactly yeah. like you said, I, I say, like well, remember, you said that if you saw the house that you wanted to buy first, that you would buy it. And they're like, oh, my God, you're right. Now we're one of your statistics. People, that happens to me all the time. Setting expectations. Yeah. Right. And, and setting them properly. There's nothing wrong with that. Because how many times do we get into something where you just have this client that if you didn't set the proper expectations, right? Because it happens every once in a while where they, they just don't understand it. And then they become apprehensive. Mm -hmm. They do this thing where there's this mental stress of, you know, oh, well, what happens if I if I don't make the payment or, or oh, am I spending too much? And it, it's, it's super stressful. Yeah. And I like to combat that by saying, look, buying a house is unlike anything else. Mm -hmm. It's very weird. It's very weird. There's lots of things that come up that you're not expecting, right? That you probably haven't thought of yourself. And every single transaction is so different but that's why you got me in the team, right? Is that we're going to help you figure it out based off of you, but just know that I'm not going to let you just buy a house. Yeah. Right. And give them that, you know, that safety net of that. Listen, if this isn't the right one, we're going to have that conversation because, and if you don't do those things when it happens, then it's super uncomfortable because they weren't expecting it. Totally. They have, they have no, they, they're like, oh, you just want the commission. Yeah. No. Okay, let me walk you through what we talked about. Let me talk you about what your goals were. These meet, check all of these boxes. And I'm telling you that, as your advisor, I think this is okay. Totally. Right? Years ago, I heard somebody say, mismanaged expectations are the root of all controversy. So my That's job, and what I try to do every single day is set proper expectations with my team, with with my clients, with my service, you know, partners and vendors, um, and with people in my life too. You yeah. know, that translates to, to personal. So I want to ask you about um, something we do on the show is 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 this it's it's based for realtors, right? We're we're trying yeah. to provide value to the industry, and uh, you and I were talking about uh, backstage about what you thought you 
could share with us that you think would be valuable for us as a whole? You know, maybe some tactics or something. What, what do you think is something that maybe agents could learn from you? Yeah. So one of my soapboxes is just doing business authentically. I think the truer that you can be to who you are and bring that to the table in the form of your business, is gonna allow your business to flourish. Amen. So I joke around with people that I was the original thirst trap realtor, at least in Chicago. <laughs> wow. And okay. and I grew my following online uh, by posting, you know, photos at the pool, photos at the beach, right? And expanded my reach, but then was constantly also peppering in, hey, look at this house I sold, or hey, look at me doing this interview, right? Or, you know, uh, are you a first time home buyer? Do you want to lunch and learn at your company, right? And so it was a mix of who I was and my interests outside of work mm -hmm. with you know professional content right which translated to closed deals for me and i was able to grow my network of people who had similar interests in fitness and you know travel and things like that through the type of content that i was putting out and this was before TikTok, before reels on instagram when everything was just in a feed that you scrolled through right wow so I think leaning into what makes you you is going to attract people who feel like they know you. And that can come in multiple different ways. You know, that can come in multiple different forms, whether that's how you're dressing. Right. I mean, like I am today wearing a T-shirt under a jacket. This is about as dressy as I ever get. Sure. So shirt and tie, not for me. Right. I'll go show showing or I'll go show people homes in jeans and a T-shirt. I look put together, but I don't have to necessarily dress up for them. That doesn't change their experience as a consumer. And it does definitely not add to my wealth of experience and knowledge. Right. And if it's working for you, you know, I mean, they always joke, you know, everybody thinks the guy in the suit's the most successful until they find out they work for the guy for the, in pajamas. Right? Exactly. And listen, Larry going to hate every single thing that I'm saying on this, yeah. you know, but it, it's, it's, it works for whoever the person is and whatever your brand is, you own it. You know, if that's who you are, like I like wearing a suit. I, it, that's just who I am. I'm not doing it because I feel like I have to. Right. right? And, but when you see me, sometimes I'll be in jeans and a t-shirt walking around too, doing the exact same job. Right. It just depends on, on what um, you're comfortable with. And I think that that's really important. Anybody yeah. listening to this that's trying to figure out your branding or your your you know your perspective in regards to how you want just be yourself just be who you are you don't have to emulate the cliche realtor per se right I mean it's totally it's, it's whatever you think is is uh, working for your you know community right hundred percent I mean Laracy is famous for wearing suit and tie every single day sure and and that's who he is right I'm not that person yep and my clients don't need me to be that person right they need me to be me because that's why they're working with me and you know i'm not showing up looking slobby uh or, or sloppy i'm showing up looking put together yeah. but being comfortable in my own skin in the clothes that i'm wearing right in my uh, expertise and the knowledge that I bring to the table so that I can best help them. So that's one huge thing is the authenticity piece. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really important is, you know, lead gen has become such a buzzword. And when I first got into the business for years, I never even heard the term of lead generation. Uh, then in working at one of my previous firms, it was very lead gen focused. I was where I, I heard the term and but I felt a little bit lost in terms of what do I do, right? Uh, you know, am I supposed to call people and ask them if they know someone who wants to buy or sell real estate? That gave me the ick a little bit. And yeah. I didn't want to pick up the phone and make those phone calls because it felt salesy. It felt uh, impersonal. And it also did not feel authentically me, right? Okay. 
So one of the things that I learned at Compass, uh, which was actually huge from Sky Michaels at Compass, is the, co the concept of having conversations, which to me is a lot more comfortable than doing lead gen calls, right? So the conversations are being in conversation with everyone that you know as often as you can. Mm -hmm. So that can take multiple different forms, texting your clients who are fathers on Father's Day. Hey, happy Father's Day. Yeah. I'm not asking them for anything. I'm saying, hey, happy Father's Day, right? Texting my clients, just drove past your place. How's everything working out, right? Or I know you were going to redo the bathroom. Have you finished it yet? Send me, send me pics. Yeah. The fact that I'm authentic and that people know who I am allows me to be to build real relationships with the people that I help and the people that I know. So it doesn't seem inauthentic for me to text them saying, hey, thought of you, how's your place going? Because I've talked to them a couple months ago. Right. Whether or not we're best friends and see each other all the time, staying in your spheres life, those conversations are going to remind them that you exist. And yep. then if you're also supplementing that with an email newsletter or postcards or kind of those more traditional marketing pieces, you're going to just seal the deal and capture all of that business that's out there, especially important today because people are scared there's not a lot of inventory it's harder to get a deal done people are looking for homes for longer because there's less options out there so the average transaction time for me has gotten longer than it used to be in years prior yeah they start getting distracted by all these different you know fancy tools or you know new ideas but really just go back to basics and stay in flow with the people who you know and those people some of them still will have to buy or sell a home so my team and i have been uh i love everything you're talking about right now because it was um it was a it, i got a i got a basically wind of a, of a transaction that went down with somebody that I, I, I really like, mm -hmm. and we got along very well. And I realized going to look back at my tracking, I hadn't actually spoken to them live in, in a couple of years. Yeah. And I realized it was a mistake. I, I felt terrible. I, I called them, but we just never connected. Right. right. And, um, so I said, no, I said, we're not doing that. So we've been calling all of our past clients, all of them, just, just, and, and we, we do 30 minute time blocks, right? Mm -hmm. We do 30 minute time blocks. You can do 30 minutes, yeah. just call 10 people, right? And just say, hi, you know what the most powerful thing you can say to a past client is? How you doing? How's yeah. the house? Mm -hmm. Right. I just want to check on you. The responses that I'm getting from that, because I'm not calling you for any other reason than to genuinely check on you and make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. Like the wall just comes down. Because especially right now with all the social media and all the stuff and all the stuff that just keeps hitting and it's just all negative, they're just, I feel like some people are just waiting for that next thing to show up. Yeah. So here's your mortgage guy calling and they're like, oh no, what happened? Is there an issue? And when you say, you know, your realtor's calling saying, hey, just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. You everything good? How's the house? Family? Cool. Hey, you guys doing anything fun over the holiday? You know, like you guys got any vacations planned? How's the job? You know, stupid stuff that like you would do with your friends. Exactly. You treat them like a friend. Exactly. Yeah. Treat them like a friend. And you mentioned the social media and another concept that I really like and have gravitated towards recently is the concept of reverse social media. So you mentioned, okay, everyone's posting on social media, what's going on in their life. Oh, they had a baby, they got married, it's their anniversary, right? We're all just so accustomed to double tapping and liking, right? If you actually exit Instagram, 
go into your text messages and send them a text saying, hey, saw your anniversary post. Hope you guys have an awesome day. Uh, do you have any big plans for it? That is so much more impactful than them seeing that you liked the photo on Instagram, right? Use social media to your advantage, not to your detriment to get trapped into the idea that by you liking people's stuff that you're having conversations or that you're staying in touch with them because you're not because think about how many hundreds of likes they're getting or you know how often they're going on the app right but everyone's looking at their text messages so pick up the phone and use the information that's already readily available to you to further your connection with the people who are in your database so can i tell you a secret yeah so i will do that and then I'll make it a point that the next day I'll go and like the anniversary. So that way I'm not. It's a double whammy. Right. So that the algorithm picks it up. Yeah. But I don't want them to think that that's the only reason that I care about them is social media. Right. I think that the society has changed so much that, you know, it, we have come this. It's like, oh, I liked it. That yeah. was me telling you happy anniversary. Yeah. No, it's not. Before this, we used to have to pick up the phone. You know how we, we didn't have social media. We actually had to go be intentional and go see somebody, mm -hmm. show up at their house, call them, you know, do something that is, you know, it's specific to them. And now we've become so impersonal because we think, you know, shooting a video is great. You know, setting up something is great. It is great. Yeah. But a phone call, the old school, picking up the phone and getting somebody and just telling them that you love them yeah. is it goes such a long way because it's so different. It's not what they're used to. All the social media stuff is so passive, right? And, and it can supplement. It can really be a supplement whether or not you're posting personal content or business content. But to go the extra mile, even if that's sending them a DM yeah. on the app, right, yeah, right, is so much different than everybody else who's just double clicking. Yep, agreed. And so staying in touch with people, and and you know, you've been mentioning like picking up the phone and calling people a lot. I've actually gotten away from picking up the phone. Really. Even though a lot of people will say, you know, calls are better, calls are better. My people that I interact with, for the most part, like to text. Hmm. And I have found that when I text people, it's the same intrinsic benefit as if I pick up the phone and call them. Hmm. Now, maybe that's because I'm a millennial and a lot of the people I work with are, you know, of the same generation. But... But yeah, I mean, I think a text message is sufficient for me having a conversation with someone in my sphere. Okay. It doesn't have to be a phone call. I think, in fact, it would be harder to get people on the phone versus I can interact with more people via text and still have it count as a meaningful reminder that I'm there. You know, them thinking that I'm thoughtful, which I am being thoughtful. Yeah. And I do want to know how they are. And I do want to know what's going on in their life, because ultimately my job is to help them with whatever they need, even if that's outside of real estate. And if they just had a baby and they're looking for a nanny, if I know someone in my network, I'm going to connect them with that person. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, as long as you're coming from a genuine place in terms of actually wanting to know how they're doing, you're good. So I introduced you as being famous, right? And, <laughs> and, and the reason I did that is because you are, um, you're very specific in your community, right? You, you, you go and give back to your community in ways that others don't. And I think a lot of people misunderstand um, what that means. Sometimes, you know, writing a check and, 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 you know, donating and doing those things, that's great. And you should do those things. But actually going out there and being a change maker is really, really cool. You've done some great things in the community. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah, so one of the things that I'm most proud of, um, that I'm most proud about doing in the past from a charitable standpoint is in 2019 I created an organization called Men of Chicago Real Estate. It was a uh, initiative that was cross brokerage within the city, so we got guys from you know all different brokerages within Chicago, and we created a charity swimsuit calendar. Where, oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. So we did a photo shoot on the beach. That was actually one of the times WGN came. They covered it. And they put a, a segment on the evening news and. And then, uh, and then we sold those and gave them back to, uh, uh, gave the proceeds to an LGBTQ focused um, charity. So, you know, as that was actually right before I started my own brokerage, I did that. I think it, we actually shot it in the summer of 2018. And since then, I've really been wanting to reignite that initiative. Um, it's fallen a little bit to the back burner, but you bringing it up has given me like well, a so good you just, little push. Now you just got called out, right? Because yes, now exactly. it's now it's on film and you have to do it. Right? Well, my plan for next time is that it's going to be guys with dogs and that will focus on giving back to like the anti-cruelty society. That's great. Good yeah. for you. And uh, way to give back to your community. That's Thank extremely you. important. I think as 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 industry leaders, as, as people who, who have been doing this for a while, it's kind of cool to pass the torch a little bit. You see these other people that have made real change with, you know, all the contacts that you have. Yeah. All the real estate for me is so special because when I sit down and I think about it, it's like and and I know you have this, right? It's that you look at your phone and go, "Huh. Like I know people who do this and I know people who do this." Mm -hmm. And I like without being in this industry, where else would you have access to so many cool people and change makers and people who can actually affect the community? And one, you know, one one person can can do all of that. And that's you. That's great. Good mm -hmm. for you, man. I do feel like, you know, when you're in this business at a high level for a while, you know so many people. I mean, I'll go on vacation with my boyfriend and we'll run into people that I know from Chicago yeah. in a different city. And that means that I'm connected to a lot of people, which I love because it's so exciting to know so many different types of people, people with different interests and professions, and it just keeps life a little bit more interesting. But the other really cool thing about this industry, in my opinion, is that, you know, the people who you meet, who are your colleagues, whether they're service providers or other agents are some of the most impactful people to my business. The relationships that I have with agents, whether they're at Compass with me or at Keller Williams or at Baird & Warner or any other brokerage are some of the most important things even in terms of success for my clients, mm -hmm. being able to pick up the phone and know an agent and have worked with them before and say, hey, my client's interested. What's it going to take to get this deal done? Mm -hmm. Right. And to have those industry relationships is paramount, especially with the low inventory that we have right yeah. now. If you yeah. know the other agent on that on the other side of the deal, you're already a huge step ahead of the competition. So I love those relationships, and those are another thing that I really try to foster and maintain, you know, all the time. So let's dive into that, right? So when you get an offer, what are the things that you like to see that maybe some agents don't do? And I mean, call it out. You don't have to call me specific, but what are yeah. things you don't like to see? What do you think shows out that it's just not in poor taste when you see the offer come over? Oh, man. Um, I just had two listings this past weekend with multiple offers on them. So okay. this is fresh and top of mind. Okay. When you submit an offer, don't just attach the document as a PDF. Send an email outlining the terms, telling me more about yes. what's going on. If you know the lender that they're working with, if they're going to work with your preferred attorney, right? Give me a little explanation because 
it's so annoying to have to open an offer and read it for the terms and then click out of it, open a different thing. I mean, it adds busy work. If I want you to accept my offer, I want to make your life as the listing agent as easy as possible. So a little bit of effort goes a long way. It also makes you look more professional. Right. Right. And if you are somebody who's new, you want to appear like you know what you're doing, right? And so go that extra mile, put forth a complete and, you know, and and don't fill out the contract wrong. I mean, you know, getting an offer and and I have said to my clients including this last weekend, okay, so this offer, you know, cuz sometimes you have to really get down to the nitty-gritty when mm -hmm. you're comparing offers cuz most yeah. things might be the same. Mhm. Mm if one agent didn't fill out the contract right and the other did and every everything else is the same you're going with the one that's gonna be easier we're going with the one that filled out the offer yeah. contract correctly yeah. because that to me says that the agent knows what they're doing and is a better agent i do this as a lender this is a lender right where I, people shop me and it, it's just part of the business right mm -hmm. it happens to you too and um you know you you go okay that's totally fine no no problem Send me over what they worked up for you. Right. And you take a look at it and you go, huh. Well, did you know that they didn't do this right and they didn't do this right and they didn't do this right? And it's, it's just, it's offensive when you're putting an offer together and you're not presenting your best effort, right? It needs mm -hmm. to come from the lending perspective. It needs to come from the, the offer perspective. But yeah. also, I love what you said, like put it in the email and like make it super easy because if there's seven offers on it, What's going to happen is, right, they're going to go to present and if they have to open up each attachment and they have to go, sometimes they're not going to do that. They're mm -hmm. going to go, well, this one, yeah, okay. And like, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but there's seven of them, right? Well, right. Uh, these ones look similar, but this one, this agent looks like they're going to be really easy to work with because yes. they know how a deal works versus this one. Ugh, you know, I'm going to have you chasing them down and trying to figure out where that other attachment is. Of course. And one step further, you know, outside of those more administrative and typographical things, mm -hmm. if I know an agent mm -hmm. and I know that they do a good job with their clients in terms of setting expectations, explaining the process, that they're setting those expectations that are not going to create controversy throughout yeah. the course of the transaction. Yeah. I speak to that to my client. And those are soft things that aren't readily available to the seller if they're just reviewing two documents side by side, right? So if I can speak to the lender, the agent, and I've either worked with them in the past, know them, they have a reputation, yep. you know, those are huge, huge um, aspects of getting a deal across the finish line. Now, that's not to say that an agent who I don't know can't you know, win a multiple offer situation on my listings, because ultimately there are other ways to show that you know what you're doing, like not having typos in your email or your offer, putting forth the terms and a highlight, you know, uh, in the body of the email, and also just picking up the phone and, and calling. So on one of my last listings that had multiple offers, we got five offers. Uh, four of the five agents called me and asked me when my clients wanted to close. One did not and didn't even tell me that they were submitting an offer before the deadline. And they were the only ones that had a closing date that did not work for my clients. So again, the detriment of the buyer's agent not picking up the phone and asking me one simple question put them at a disadvantage when they came to. I'm seeing that more and more as of late. Right. I'm seeing closing date TBD. Right. Or, or you know, you know, seller's choice or, or something mm -hmm. along those lines, which is which is brilliant especially in this market, yeah. because a lot of these sellers are selling a place to buy another one. And the, the question they ask me is like, 
okay, but well, what if I don't find another place in time? You know, yeah. and that's that's a stress that if you can appeal to that a little bit, you know, the seller will go, oh, this sounds great. They're willing to work with us here. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if you have that ability, but you know, within ninety days, within sixty days, at least put something on there so that way it gives them a little wiggle room. It doesn't right. seem as rigid. Or right? don't not ask and put a date when they're going to be out of town. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, right, you right. know, it, it again, it speaks to a little bit of effort goes a long way, and and. I would rather do a little bit more work on, you know, any deal that I'm doing as the buyer's agent, let's just say, than do a little less work and not get a check in the end because I can't get them under contract, right? Yep. And and I think some of those people will leave the industry. I think, you know, we'll really get back to kind of a core group within Chicago. Uh, you know, the interest rates aren't changing tomorrow. So it's still a difficult time for these people who don't have a more um, self-sustaining book of business. So hopefully some of those agents who are less serious or less uh, have, have a not as great work ethic will leave the industry and make space for people like me, people like the other folks who you've had on this show to capture more market share because I want to do a great job for my clients. And so I'm ready to help more people and do a great job for them. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I just have to be blunt. You, you, I kind of got the chills a little bit when you said the core group because I realized who that is. Like I just did a roll the decks yeah. in my head of the people that like, you get excited when you see them, yeah. right? They're your friends now. Cause like at first it was, you know, kind of a, you know, you're trying to cut your teeth. You're just trying to prove that you belong. Yeah. And now, you know, you've got transactions under your belt. So when you run into them at, you know, events and things, it's like, hey, you're only, you know, you're, you're friends because you guys are in the same industry doing the same stuff. It's a lifestyle and a journey together, which is really, really cool. I think that um, you're dead on. I think that we are becoming the people that um, we, we looked at as mentors as we came up, right? Yeah. We're starting to mentor others like you're doing for your team. Who was your biggest mentor in the business? Or do you have a couple? Okay, so I have a couple. Okay. Um, Nick Leibert was obviously a huge mentor for me when I first got into the business. Shout out to Nick Leibert. He's great. Yes. He's great. Um, Tommy Choi, Tommy Josh Choi's Weinberg, yep. Yep. Uh, Joe Zimmerman, all yep. those KW guys, huge great. mentors for me. Um, do you know Phil Byers? I do know Phil Byers, Byers. I know him very well. Yeah. Great mentor for me and just a fantastic human being. Yeah, he's great. And then, um, and then some of my most impactful mentors right now that I think I have are sort of my contemporaries. And I heard something a long time ago that a mentor doesn't have to be someone more advanced in their career. It can be someone at the same position as you. Uh, it can be someone who's newer in the, into the industry than you. And what I've enjoyed doing over the last couple of years is building really reciprocal mentorship relationships with a few people in the industry where we kind of help each other. Love it. Um, Alex Wolking is one of those. <laughs> Alex is great. Yeah. He is one of my best friends. Um, Stephanie Spenner, who I know you've had on the show. Love Stephanie. Yeah. We became fast friends when my team moved over to Compass and uh, we really, we really get along famously and have helped each other kind of problem solve some stuff in our respective businesses. But the thing that I think is really important to highlight with this topic and the one we were talking about right before is that I want to make sure people don't think that the, the core group is exclusionary. No, absolutely not. Because I love nothing more than seeing someone break into that group, right? And I think the best way you do that is by surrounding yourself with people who have gotten there. Amen. And people like me and people like Stephanie and people like Alex and people like Phil and Tommy and Joe and Josh all want to help people get to that level. Yeah. 
And so we want a rising tide to raise all ships. And I want there to be more good agents out there, not less. Right. And so if I can help someone become a better agent, that helps me when I go to write an offer on their listing or when they come to do a deal with me on my listing. So I love when when I kind of have a, a fresh face, if you will, that I keep seeing or their name keeps popping up or we start doing deals together and then I get to build a relationship with somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Iron sharpens iron. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's huge. And, and you're right. I came here from Tucson, Arizona. I didn't know anybody. As cliche as it is, I had everything I owned in a backpack. That's a real <laughs> thing. I was slept on couches. I just saw these big giant buildings and went, wow, this is really cool. I wanna, I wanna work in real estate. I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. It, it's definitely not easy. Like it's earned. And and what you just said for the people that want to join, you know, the, the the seat at the table, if you will. Yeah. Right. It, all you have to do is the work. You have to be serious. You have to be professional right? And be genuine, be authentic, right? Go out there and learn your craft. You know, become, my old mentor used to teach me, be a master of your craft, mm -hmm. right? You are in real estate. Yeah. You're not a doctor. You're not a mechanic. You, you're not a carpenter. That might be your hobby. You are in real estate. Learn every single thing you can and become the best of the best in your industry. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Yeah. You know, if you're going to fake it, if you're going to kind of part-time it, I wish you luck. It's it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult because what you just said, right? Where are you going to learn that the reason that you didn't get the offer or the reason that you didn't get the contract was because, hey, these are what these other offers look like. This is what yours looks like. Mm -hmm. That just tells me this person doesn't have a mentor in their life. They don't have a coach. They don't have somebody giving them a brand standard to kind of figure things out. And in this market, I love you, but you got to sit down and figure this out. You yeah, know, it's, it's important. A hundred percent. And and I think um, I think one of the least groundbreaking things I'll say today is that a lot of people get into real estate because they think it's glamorous, sexy, easy money. Right. It is the exact opposite of those things, right. at least at the beginning. And people don't understand all the time that you have to work. 10 times harder, 10 times more, sludge through so much shit at the very beginning of your career in real yeah. estate yeah. to get to a place where then it's eating, a little bit more comfortable. You're eating Chipotle in your, in your car waiting oh to go God. to your next listing. More times than I can count. Right, right. You know, stopping at gas stations to go pee because you're just constantly on the road, right? Yeah. Late nights, uh, talking to clients, you know, I mean, just, just grinding and hustling. What I will say is that now, this year, I've had the best work-life balance of my entire life, wow. despite the fact that the market's a little bit wonky right now. So all of that is because of the last 10 years of work that I've put in, right? And so I have those relationships already, right? I don't need to create the relationships, although I love creating new relationships. Sure. I don't have to break into that that group of people. I don't need to, you know, prove myself to to anyone really because, you know, I've I've done that. That is all a result of working harder than most people for most of my career. And I think that that's what people don't understand is that they need to put in extra hard work and that it's extra unglamorous and not sexy at all at the very beginning of their career to get to a place where it's a little bit more even keel. Maybe become a content creator, but also put in the work. Like you said, you, mm -hmm. you started with creating content and things, but you mm -hmm. also have to do the hard work. 
I find some agents may be focused more on the content creation, less on the system and lead gen. Again, if you're doing something and it, you can't figure out that it made you money, right? If you can't attribute a post or, or, or something that you're doing to a lead or to a, a relationship or to a something, I say it all the time. My mom already thinks I'm cool, right? <laughs> like I, I don't do things to to do them just to do them. I, I do them because I, I I want clients to know that I care about them. I want them to know who I am, yeah. right? But if you're doing things consistently, like standing in front of multi million dollar mansions and taking pictures and being a content creator, if you're not making money doing that, if that's not getting you leads, get a mentor, right? Get somebody who can help you be honest with your business and, and figure out what you need to be doing next. Well, right? if it is getting you leads, yeah. What if you can't close those leads? Right, right. If you're doing a TikTok that's getting you even one person who says, hey, I like your style. I want to I want to work with you. Yeah. If you don't know how to do Conf showings, negotiate, have a relationship with the person on the other side of the table, write an offer, present yep. an offer. Right. Then what good is getting that client? Right. You can't focus. You can't put the cart before the horse you need to. Exactly like you said hone your craft before you start really 10xing that stuff. You have to focus on the basics, on being in front of your sphere, on, you know, learning the skills that it takes to do a transaction. Shout out to Nick Leibert teaching me how to do that. I mean, that's the most important thing. Do you have any organizations that you'd like to plug for any agents that maybe don't know about them or, or have heard about them and don't know that they should be a part of it in order to better their career? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the lowest hanging fruit is the Chicago Association of Realtors YPN is a great place to start and Amen. just build relationships. And the other really cool thing about that organization is some of, you know, the most influential industry leaders within our city, Tommy Choi, um, uh, Grace Coggy, all started as part of the YPN, yeah. right? And we're board members. And there are people who I see on the board right now who are those next leaders within our industry who I love and adore. Yeah. So that's a great place to get exposed to, you know, high level um, uh, thought collaboration. The panels there are great. They do the monthly uh, breakfast. I think it's a great place for someone to sort of plug in if they're if they're new. Agreed. I've, I've picked up so much value going to those breakfasts. I mean, they're so good. You know, yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. You got to work into your schedule. If you're not a downtown agent, you got to get yourself down there. Right. Yeah. But it's very rare you get into a room where they give you the secret sauce and tell you, like, listen, this is how you really fill out a contract. And if you're not doing this, this is why we're not accepting your offer, like mm -hmm. you said. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, practices or lead gen or all of these things, you can get, you know, some sessions done that are that are fantastic for people who've had some success. Yeah. Um, listen, man, I think you are fantastic. I'm so proud of all your accomplishments and, and, and watching you, you know, get through this industry and build what you've built with your team and everything. I really thank you for coming on the show today. Thank, thank you for you. providing value. This was awesome. It was so great to be here and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks.